Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. As we all know, the human body goes through a battery of changes in puberty. There follows 20 or 30 years of what are sometimes called the prime of one's life before women go through the menopause, and men's bodies too change and modify with the onset of the years. One of these changes, and apologies in advance to those of you of a squeamish disposition, is the common and long understood lengthening of the testicular sac. It's just a fact. Don't come at me, Ken. It happens to the best of us. And so, just going simply on square footage, it's fair to say that 43-year-old Frank Lampard's balls have never been bigger than they are now. That's just a fact. And he needed all the bollocks he could muster as long ball Lampard and his Everton team resurrected their Premier League survival chances with a 1-0 win over Chelsea yesterday. Welcome to today's Maybank Holiday Monday show. Hello there, Ken. I'm stunned, Kieran. It's a stunning opener. Was was long ball Lampard just a step too far for you there? Long ball Larry. Oh, I, I actually Kirby didn't even I, I actually oh. didn't even appreciate the pun until you Sorry, I was, it. I was going for that curb your enthusiasm. I was thinking there, I was thinking purely in football terms. Uh, no, not I, like Sam actually, Long Ball. I was thinking Allardyce. myself, was was Everton's approach very rude? One? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not actually sure that it was on the. Yeah, on maybe the Long Ball lamps would have. I don't know. Would would that have made it clearer for you? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah, no. I just. Um, I need to just uh, readjust uh, the way that I think about the things you say. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's. I mean, you got to say to that part. You got to say that this was a. Um, this was a great day for Everton. Mm. Um, there was a lot of boot biting bollock, Ken, to that performance. You'd have to say there really was, and you know, it was like it, it. It sort of had this kind of crazy atmosphere surrounding it. You know, sort of from the from from before the kickoff. You know, where where Chelsea are approaching the stadium through this like blue smoke, as though it was like you know a European semi final sort of thing. You know, mm. and. Uh, uh, and really thinking, oh my god, <laughs> oh god, oh Jesus! Like, if you're Chelsea, are you are you really here for this? I don't think so. Are they bang at it, Ken? Are they bang up for this one? You know, I really don't think so. Uh, like, you know, they, and they've been kind of catching up on games. They were playing Man United during the week. Fairly mediocre performance there. Nothing really to play for. Um, you look at the opposition, and they look like crazy men. You know they're completely they're completely crazy. Like Seamus Coleman, the I mean Seamus Coleman's. <laughs> did you see Seamus Coleman's run up the sideline? Yes. Um, I mean, and this was like, and actually it was quite similar to there was a, there had been a moment in the Liverpool Newcastle game the previous day where in the in like the ninety second or ninety third minute Robertson did one of these like long runs down the down the left side, I, and the 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 point about it almost seemed to be, look what I can still do. Yes. You know, it was like, yeah. look, it was a, it's a show of strength, like a show of just brute dominance. I can mm. still, I, I can, I can still do this. You can't do this. This is, you know, and this is what she- Seamus Coleman was doing again to Chelsea. It was like, none of you want to do something like that. Like, look how out of breath I am now. <laughs> <laughs> like what and what did i get i got a throw in i got i got a throw in throw it about 30 yards from the yeah. end line 
30 yards, 30 yards from the like, corner flank. We got the yeah. ball into touch 30 yards for, thirty yards from your goal line. My uh, my heart rate is 190 right now. And there's, <laughs> there isn't a single player on your team who's willing to do that for a throw. Not a single one. And, you know, and he, and he was making his point. And this is a guy who'd already gone toe-to-toe with uh, Azpilicueta, who is like the closest coma like I can think of in the league. <laughs> <laughs> I think like the two of them are going at each other. It's like, wow, these these guys are the same guy. Um, but of course, it's the Spider-Man uh, meme. Just, it was really, yeah. really was like these <laughs> these two two um, mouthy uh, little right backs um, uh, going at each other. I don't really know. Even I don't really even understand what it was about. I think they were just both being captains. You know, they both mm. had to. They were they were both captains. They both had to get involved. But unfortunately for Aspilicueta, things just got worse for him. As he he was the guy who boobed uh, to hand Everton their uh, hand Everton their goal, the now traditional Chelsea boob up at the back, which uh, which Thomas Tuchel has been getting angry and angry about. Uh, Richardson scored the goal. Richardson then threw a flare into the crowd, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which was a strange moment. Now I haven't seen yet. An angle that shows where that flare went. All you mm. see is, is Richardson picking up a flare, which is still pumping out blue smoke. And then with the crowd sort of there in front of him, just <laughs> lobbing it, maybe past the crowd. Everton put there out is a that statement. Corner of, there is that corner of Goodison Park where yeah. you know the two stands don't actually join up, isn't it, in that corner? I think, you know. yeah, is that like a, um, you know, it, it just seemed as though, the the expression on his face as he threw it just seemed not to be that of a man who was about to hurl a flare into a mass of people. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know if I can. Maybe he just he felt almost no emotion as he did precisely that. But like the 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 other incident that I can that immediately comes to mind of a player throwing a missile that had been thrown from the crowd onto the pitch, throwing it back into the crowd was Jamie Carragher at Arsenal. Um, mm. Do you remember that uh, incident where? Somebody uh, was there tangled with Dennis Burkamp of some kind, and one way or another, a fan at Highbury threw a coin, um, which Carger either either hit Carger or he saw it like being thrown, and he picked it up and threw the coin back into the crowd. But when you looked at Carger's face, there was absolutely no doubt that he that he intended that coin to go straight back in in among those fans. Right, <laughs> he was definitely <laughs> aiming for the fans. Whereas at Richardson, Everton's statement said like. Uh, we uh, believe Richarlison was trying to throw the flare out of the ground. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know if he, he actually got quite the angle that he would have needed to clear the, the uh, whole thing. He could throw a kettle p- p- just straight, <laughs> straight over the roof of a pub. Was it a kettle <laughs> or was it his old shoe? Well, his I can't shoe, I think. He's throwing his shoe over the shoe. pub. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, it was... And, and obviously, I haven't even mentioned um, the main man, Jordan Pickford. Oh, well, we'll 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 get we'll get to Pickford. We'll get to Pickford because okay. the atmosphere, the, just the whole scenario in Goodison Park was extremely funny. Extremely it was amazing, wasn't it? It was amazing. It was, it was unbelievable, absolutely. Yeah. And unbelievable. Lampard then saying the fans were man of the match. Yeah, people of the yeah. match. Of course, he he corrected himself. He was yeah. like, mm, you know, his his a star in Latin sort of uh, declension oriented uh, mind wasn't couldn't couldn't stand over that the fans were man of the match mm. um he couldn't so he had to change uh it's the start of a new month a may that will feature the closing stages of the heineken cup over a third of the entire ga championship season and the final stages of the premier league and the champions league so i actually just don't know if there'll ever be a better time to join the second captain's world service quite frankly just five euro, euro a month plus fat no minimum contract you can try it for a month and leave it if you don't fancy it so we'd absolutely love to have you along secondcaptains.com forward slash join is the place to go. There's a welcome on the mat for you right there. Now, to report on some sport, please, Ken. And I, you know what? Quite frankly, I don't think we can start anywhere else other than Jordan Pickford. Which, you know what? The, the thing that really strikes me about Jordan Pickford's performance yesterday, Ken, was just how much he hated the limelight. You know, that just he was an, an unfortunate <laughs> byproduct of his, his many great saves. Yeah. And unfortunately, that pushed him towards the forefront of some people's minds when really what you were talking about was a team effort. Yeah. You know, and just this idea that you would single out one person over another, just the sort of thing that's, that Jordan Pickford just hates, you know, that yeah, it, yeah, it obviously yeah. just burns him up inside um, to see that happen. So, obviously, you know, he can feel a lot of pride, but I'm sure there's a lot of shame there this morning as well that some of his teammates aren't quite getting the glory that they deserve for their part 
if only that was a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was amazing stuff by Pickford. To be fair, I mean, he had uh, remember been uh, he had the um, piss taken out of him last week um, by his opposite number, who you know. Did, but but Pickford undeterred was doing the same move in this mm. game. Uh, the same the, the move which has now become it where he you know you gather the ball and then you sort of in an exaggerated slow way go down on the knees and then down on the front and hold the ball for a few seconds and he was he's he was he reclaimed it immediately from Allison's mockery uh, and also took a few <laughs> he took a few you know hundred second goal kicks which were which were magnificent but again Chelsea didn't didn't really seem to care I mean Tuchel Tuchel made some like you know, token complaint about it. Token whinge from Tuchel about like the, um, you know, the, the time wasting. But then he sort of was like, "Well, what else do you expect?" You know, and he didn't even really seem that angry about it. It's like, let's just get out of here. Let's just go home. And really, the only the only sort of drama uh, coming out of Chelsea, you know, was a real anticlimactic um, moment for them and what's basically an anticlimactic Premier League season. Um, well, but, you know, there's still there, there is still time for a very dramatic climax to Chelsea season, but it would be very, very dramatic in a very bad way for them to collapse from this point and not qualify for the Champions League. It could happen; it's pretty unlikely. Uh, but um, they will you know, need to win a game at some stage. Yeah, um, I mean, they just they, to make sure of that Champions League spot. The big question at Chelsea is obviously now the going to be the. The ownership, and that's what we're actually going to talk a little bit later on in the podcast. We're going to talk to Jacob Steinberg just about what's happening there because there was sort of some big news, or well, what sounded like big news on Friday with the entrance of a new uh, player into that auction. Um, but uh, it seems as though Todd Bowley and Hans-Jörg Weiss, who was one of the very first people linked with a change of ownership at Chelsea, are going to be the people whose consortium is going to... Uh, is going to get there. Uh, so anyway, look, we're, we're going to talk a bit about that kind of somewhat confused process and what you know how likely it is going to be finished uh, pretty soon. Uh, so what else is going on? So the big um, question this weekend, I suppose, was obviously the Liverpool um, City situation. Um, Liverpool having a very tough game away to Newcastle, uh, which they ultimately made look, you know, easy enough. I think mm. it was one of those where it was it was like uh, a, a sort of. Um, an arm's length almost you know they managed to keep newcastle at arm's length they're, they're, it's difficult to think of a newcastle chance uh that wasn't offside so there were a couple of uh there were a couple of chances chris wood was through on allison who who saved his shot almiron got through in the first half and actually scored uh but both of these were ultimately offside um and you know Eddie Howe, uh, you know there was a few things that surprised me a little bit about about it. Like um, Newcastle, a, a couple of times had free kicks in their own half, and sent everyone forward to uh, to attack the high ball, which I thought, okay, well, it's you know Eddie Howe does have a, has a have a reputation as a progressive coach, but this mm. this this seemed um, <laughs> you know I mean like lump it up to Chris Wood uh, mm. was also a lot of, the, you know, not saying it's necessarily wrong, just saying that, uh, you know, before we go like, uh, you know, garlanding Eddie Howe with, you know, accolades of being futuristic, uh, let's remember what he actually did. Um, mm. Jake Humphrey obviously was the, was uh, making a lot of the headlines around this uh, game um, with his comments before the match. Uh, on BT Sport, where he said, as ever with this club, there are people standing on the sidelines ready to snipe and have a bit of a pop. Well, at the moment, the way they run the club is proving difficult for them, isn't it? So, um, you know, at the moment, the way they run the club is proving difficult for them, D- difficult for these people who are on the on mm. the sidelines, you know? Um, yeah. They, 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 they have nothing to complain about as far as Newcastle United is concerned. And it's the club, it's not the dressing room as he tried to it's uh, he he was eager to add some context uh in a later in a later tweet yeah uh, he said i appreciate how this clip looks this was because everyone on twitter was saying oh my god jake Humphrey. um he said let me be absolutely clear though let me Eddie- be absolutely clear anyone who's saying that <laughs> is not about to be clear 
That's usually that. Let me be absolutely clear. It might be the most overused in politics phrase uh, currently globally, and no one, bel- no one has a, a very hard time disbelieving anything that follows the words "Let me be absolutely clear." So let me be absolutely clear, though. Eddie Howard left us moments before this. We were talking about him, and my praise, my use of they was aimed squarely and only at him and his staff. Okay, so they, I was thinking, is Eddie Howe, they, them, or, you know, what's the story with his mm. pronoun? And he's and he's running the club. Well, you know, is he running the club, though? Is, or is he, I thought he was very narrowly focused on uh, coaching and training the team. Mm. No, I think actually Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe has been perfectly clear. I think he's quite Let stipulated Eddie Howe that be quite clearly. clear that yeah, yeah, yeah. he is, has nothing to do with the running of the club he, and everything to do with the running of the dressing room. He is a football manager. Within the white lines and not uh, not at, not outside. Uh, well, the, the inner sanctum of the dressing room, yes, but certainly not nothing to do with the outer world. I mean, he didn't think about the outer world. You know, it's because he doesn't have mm. time. He's got too much too much time coaching and training the players of the football tactics. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean... I don't know. You see, it, it sort of echoed that Luke Edwards uh, article or sort of the way that it's constructed, like, say, when Luke Edwards had, had written in The Telegraph about, uh, you know, the, the sports people. You see sports washing. I see a great team coming together, you know. Mm. Um, and it was this photograph, you know, Eddie Howe. They didn't have to do a photograph after the Liverpool game because um, they lost. But if they, you know, they were in there with the owners and so on and so forth. Yeah, and it starts in the first line he's talking about, particularly for those who struggle to see the positives in Newcastle's revival. And then, you know, later on, his uh, his presence, that's the presence of Saudi chairman Yasser, uh, Yasser al-Rumayyan in the photograph. His presence offended those who wished to be offended by it. And then uh, after that, Amanda Stavely and Jamie Rubin, all of which was fueled to those who were seeking reasons to be outraged. You know what I mean? And then here's here's Humphrey talking about, what is it he's talking about? People standing on the sidelines ready to snipe and have a bit of a pop. Just say who you mean. Mm. Just say, like, who are you, ta- who are you talking about? Like, and, and 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 if it's just Eddie Howe that you're talking about, that, that you know, it wasn't it wasn't the Saudi ownership or wasn't, you know, Stavely and, you know, the Yasser El-Rumayan or whoever. It wasn't these people who you're talking about who run the club, the way they're running the club. Like, um... Well, you know, why why are people having a snipe at at Eddie Howe? Like why why are there always people on, at Newcastle standing on the sidelines waiting to have a pop at Eddie Howe? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't get that. I mean, it seems to me he gets quite a lot of praise. I mean, he gets enormous praise. You know, for considering his uh, uh, you know oh, what a, you know what a job he's done. You're like, well, yeah. Did mm. he do did he do a job, or were they the biggest spending club in the world in in January? I mean, there's a combination of factors that have that have gone on there. But anyway, this whole this whole theme of oh, the people who are just looking to be outraged. You know what I mean? Just say say you mean don't don't like invent a sort of a phantom um, a phantom uh, mm. kind of naysayer group. Yeah, you're going to have to deal with the reason why people are outraged. You can't just say oh well, you know that's people people are going to be outraged. It's like well, what are they outraged by? Yeah, no, it's this results, like because what this this really is is you know oh um, supporting uh, supporting NUFC to own the libs, you know what I mean? Um, uh, <laughs> and that that's 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 what it is, sort of hand hand waving executions to own the libs. So mm. that's uh, that's the, that's the issue. Anyway, so so I always I always look out for that whenever I see it. Oh, you know those those people who want it. Blah blah. Anyway. So what else was going on? Okay, so Man-, Man City then were in the situation where they were now behind, had to respond, um, and they're they're against Leeds uh, and Coach Marsh, who has um, who has delivered the the line in his pre match press conference, which was which clocked in at thirty minutes. You know, a voluble uh, press conference mm-hmm. from Coach Marsh, uh, where he uh, said, "We think it's the best team in the world against the best club in the world." And then he kind of grinned at the audience, who seemed to who reacted with sort of bemused silence. And then he yeah. was like, "There's your headline, boys." <laughs> it really yeah. is his yeah. his smile. Absolutely said that, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> it was like you know. I've actually don't worry. I've I've actually provided the headline for you. But um, the best team in the world, the best club in the world, um, the best club in the world is Leeds United. Uh, didn't really give City much of a game here. They did. Go, they did go uh, and fiercely chase the game. I mean, this was basically what Marsh was gonna, was saying. You know, we're going to be pesky. We're going to be annoying. We're going to try and find moments to tip the balance. You know, it's all about the application of energy 
uh, in the right way. Uh, and Leeds certainly poured on plenty of energy. Um, it just wasn't... I mean, I think the, the moment when Stuart Dallas apparently has broken his femur oh. against Jack Grealish's leg. Jack Grealish, who... Gre- Grealish was going for a ball. Uh, Dallas decided to go for the ball, even though he's not going to get it. Like, I mean, maybe he'll get it, but more likely he's just going to foul Grealish. And Grealish, to me, I think, knew that... Could see Dallas coming and basically protected himself by just sort of angling his body, angling his leg. So Dallas like ran into what effectively was a, was a brick wall. Mm. And apparently Leeds of Anansi's bro, he has a fracture in his, in his femur, which is an incredibly serious injury. Uh, you know, uh, when I say it's a serious injury, I mean, it's, it, it's, I'm not suggesting it's, uh, oh, you know, Stuart Dallas's career is in the balance. I think he should recover from it fully, but like that's a major, you know, in, mm. in terms it's of the just, impact, it's, it's, you don't hear yeah, about that. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's indicative of something that doesn't, uh, a level of impact that doesn't usually happen on happen. the football field. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, and, that, and, and I think that, should, that it's, it was sort of indicated Leeds' approach to the game, but ultimately there wasn't a lot of. I mean, there was a moment, there was an incredibly dramatic moment at nil-nil when Cancelo f- just fell over as though he'd been, like, um, tasered. You know, they, he's like, looked like someone had tased Cancelo in the center circle. He suddenly fell down. And Rodrigo was running through. like, And you're like, oh my God, this is one of those things. This is one of those Gerard-type things that have happened. Mm. But uh, maybe Demba Ba doesn't get enough credit. You know, mm. uh, it was a bloody good finish. You, you still know? had to, he still had to finish it off. You know, and Rodrigo he had to take at least two, to three touches of the ball before yeah. he kicked the. He, he was in it. The goal, yeah. Mignolet sort of maybe. Um, yeah, I'm he not sure what Ederson, Ederson yeah. did on this, but one way or the other, uh, Leeds couldn't finish off, and then what happened? Um, City started to score goals, and eventually won four 0 The last goal again, that City scoring for the third game in a row with one of their players on the ground appealing for medical attention. <laughs> Um, this is an incredible run that they're on. De Bruyne <laughs> first with the Rodri goal, then Zinchenko on the Bernardo Silva goal, and now Sterling on the Fernandinho goal against Leeds. Uh, and they're at the, the end of this, and, and with then what happens with Everton and Burnley, Burnley, who have, who have now taken 10 points from the four matches since they sacked Sean Dyche, <laughs> in like the most inspired sacking of the season is what it looks like. Of history, uh, surely. Well, everyone... You know, whichever one of these teams goes down, they've all sacked a manager. You know, they've 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 all uh, uh, and they've all sacked a kind of a a big name manager in, in you know in in the context of the of the club. You know, in in that Rafa Benitez is a, mm. you know, a Champions League winning manager. Yeah, you know, with a with a lot of experience, and his replacement is much less experienced. Um, BL says, you know, a legendary coach, and Jesse Marsh is kind of like. An American, you know, who's who's still learning his trade, and then you've got Deitch, who was Burnley. He literally was Burnley, and then you've got, and who, they, he's been replaced by a guy called Michael Jackson, who, you know, I mean, this guy isn't Burnley, you know. So, mm-hmm. so in each case, you've had you've had a big decision uh, made, and one of these is going to look like a really wrong decision, and the other two are going to look right, just by, by the mathematics of this situation. But Leeds are now the favourites to go down. They have to play Chelsea, Arsenal, Brentford, and Brighton. None of which, at this point, looks like an easy game for them. I mean, Chelsea, the way they played against Everton, is going to be an easy game. But Chelsea now have to respond to that. Arsenal, you know, are chasing the. Champions League, you know, and and again, they, they were too good for for Declan Rice's West Ham. Actually, can we get to Declan Rice? We can. Can we even have some audio of Declan Rice? Um, well, well do you course. want to finish your point on Leeds or? But, uh, well, but, just 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 that the just just the, it's a difficult situation uh, that they're in now. I mean, Burnley are in such a weird situation where they have to play Aston Villa twice in their last four matches. Now, if you were to pick a team in the league that you'd like to play twice in your last four matches, it might actually be Aston Villa. You know mm. what I mean? It, it, you're kind of thinking, well... Wolves didn't look super into it this week. This weekend, I have to say. No, they, I mean, they, they didn't. <laughs> the, they beach didn't. Has, the beach looms large in the Wolves' consciousness right now. Yeah, and you know, how how, how did Southampton get on this weekend? Um mm. Did they? Did they, yeah, they, they lost, lost the Palace. to Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say there's there are a couple of clubs there that I mean Brighton too. Let's be honest. Yeah, Brighton and even Brentford. 
Brighton and Brentford are two are two not bad games to have in your last four games. Yeah, yeah. I, although I, Bright, you know, Brighton have have only lost one of their last six. I think you know what I mean, and and that was against Man City, and they've beaten Arsenal, they've beaten Tottenham. You know, they obviously beat Wolves uh, yesterday. And Brentford are on their best run of the season. You know, they've got 10 points for the last four matches. Um, you know, maybe the job is done now. Um, mm. But, you know, they... They're they, satisfied. They, Brentford they, are in they a good moment. More, they could need another bite, Ken. They're, they, they're, they're absolutely they're, bloody stuffed. They, they, you, know, you, get, you get money for, for uh, points and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of feel like Thomas Frank is always going to be have an eye on those points totals because that's his legacy. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to be. I don't think he's going to be mm. saying, "Well, we're in the we're in the Premier League. What well, we're in the Prem. What does it matter if it's you know tenth or seventeenth? I think for for someone like Thomas Frank, that makes a very big difference. So, mm. what about Ricey anyway? Ricey. Well, I mean, f- what a weekend it's been for Ricey. I mean, first of all, he, disappointing sort of start to the weekend with the Thursday night defeat to Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, which you know in front of a, a huge home crowd, uh, which obviously was disappointing. Uh, but then uh, to finish third in the Football Writers Award poll, which also was disappointing, you know, to finish behind Mo Salah and Kevin De Bruyne, um, as he did, is disappointing. You know, when you're an English captain of West Ham, you know, it's uh, and, and you can only finish third in the Football Writers Award. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to... Uh, I mean, Noble won it like three or four times, didn't he? Uh, no, he didn't. He, no, Mark Noble hasn't hasn't won it too far, <laughs> but uh, but Rice. I mean, did you not think that was that was sort of remarkable? Third in the football writers. What? Hmm. The, why is Rice finishing? Why is Rice finishing third in this in this award? I I uh, um, I mean, exceptional play by an Englishman in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> exceptional in English footballing by a English player in the English Premier League. Yeah, I, I just, I just don't really see, um, you know, what what makes him, uh, you know, quite so, quite so outstanding. Uh, well, I think I just said it four times in the last sentence I said there. His yeah. Englishness, he's as English as they come. Declan Rice, yeah. Don't you forget it. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I just think of guys like. Um, I mean, there are obviously a bunch of players that you could say just from Liverpool and City, you know, who are, who have been way better than him. But you know, there's also like Son or, you know, um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so many players that one can one one name can't bring to mind for you. Well, there are there are, you know there, there are, could there be are a lot. twelve just, City players, like ten Liverpool players. Um, I felt it was Bruno Fernandez. I thought had a great season. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I mean if so, but but I saw I did see Declan Rice on TV get, doing a little um, interview um, with Patrick Davison, and uh, where one of those were just to, to mix up the interview format a little bit. Let's show him some pictures, and you get him to talk about the pictures. You know, one of the pictures. Well, I mean, he'll he'll say he'll say himself uh, what it was a picture of. England debut, Czech Republic. I could handle it, it was just more the fact my first time you're being watched by a nation, you know, it's like pressure. But now I'm, I live for that. And then to obviously start so well against Italy, thinking that we're going to do it, to then having the heartbreak, it's, um, it's horrible. I hate other people winning, hate other people having an edge over you, and to see them lift the trophy on your patch, it's, it's not what you want really. Yeah, it was very sad um, to, uh, to lose to Italy in that way. A team that couldn't even qualify for the World Cup. Um, as it turned out, uh, but mastered uh, mastered Wembley that night. Uh, it was sad, but you know, I have to I have to admit, Kieran, that I was triggered by this. What makes you think that anger is is a useful response? It's just an idiotic response. <laughs> you were, you were. I was, I was a little bit because, you know, just the way that he talks about it, and he's, you know. I'm not saying that there's no non that there's that there's no non-triggering way Declan Rice can speak about his England debut. I'm just saying that like he should, you know, he maybe said just that, stop talking about his England debut. You well, know? look again, I mean, he was asked did, what's he supposed didn't we play to do. A, yeah, didn't we play a clip from him talking about his England debut like three months ago? Yeah, well, that was Gary Neville uh, yes. talking to him about yes. it, right? Now, Gar- well, in fairness, Gary Neville didn't Gary Neville ask him what's the most special moment, and that was the thing he, he thought of. England debut. But in this case, 
he says, uh, oh, you know, just it's the first time, you know, a nation watching you, you know, the pressure. And I'm kind of mm. like, actually, you were more experienced than almost every other international player in this exact thing of how does it yeah. feel? How does it feel to make your international debut? You only debut? have one international debut is what 99% of players <laughs> around the world can say. But yeah. Declan Rice is part of that very special 0.01%, in fact, mm. where they can say, well, actually... You know, sometimes it felt so good you could do it twice. But they were That's showing us, they, they were like, oh, you know, he's he's great and look at these stats and so on. And, you know, he's got a lot of passes and a lot of touches. You notice that he doesn't really pass the ball forward much. Actually, there was, a, there was an example of it in this game where he he set up the, or he helped to make the West Ham goal happen with, the, with a nice crossfield pass um, uh, to Soufal, who set up uh, Jared Bowen with the, with the cross for, for what was West Ham's equaliser at that point. But he's a player who likes to run forward with the ball at his feet. Mm. He's got very good posture as well, you'd have to say. I oh, think that gonna... impresses a lot of football riders, you know? Yeah, he's got well, that erect bearing. He does. He, 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 the, yeah, he, he really does. He looks does. like a leader, Ken. You know, there's, there's a, like, you can come at me with stats and everything, but there are certain, you know, indefinable things. Yeah, that, yeah. you know, like lift a Declan Rice above, say, a Bernardo Silva or a Sadio <laughs> Mane, for instance, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that is, you know, just you stick your chest out, you know? That yeah. chest may or may not have three lines on it, of course. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. But you stick your chest out. If the three lines are there, then that will help people see it all the more clearly. Yeah. Uh, you stick your chest out, you straighten the back, and, you know, you... You, take you know, the you ball lead, Ken. You, know, you lead. You, gotta, you know, you, there are there are sheep, and then there are leaders. And Declan Rice is a leader. Lie out. He is a leader. But you know, sometimes I I wonder if he could move the ball a bit faster. You know, that's why mm. that's that's my kind of query with, with him. You know, in the in he's looking good in a lot of ways. You know, he's really high in sort of interceptions and stuff like this. He's not he's not um, much of a presser in the West Ham structure, but that's maybe because of the slightly more reactive focus that West Ham have when they're uh, when they're defending uh, than some of the other teams. You know, I don't doubt that Declan Rice has the physical capacity to to do a lot of pressing if he was in a team that required him to do that. But uh, yeah, it's just the, the the sort of can he actually pass the ball forward, which I would question a little bit. I mean, the, Jermaine Defoe, I saw say. Uh, he reminds me of Michael Carrick a bit. And I thought, does he? He doesn't remind me of Michael Carrick. I mean, Michael Carrick was a really silky um, uh, player who kind of took a while to develop the athletic side of his game to to the point where he was like, he got away with it. Whereas Rice is a super athletic player who, to my mind, doesn't have any of Carrick's, you know, he, he, do, he doesn't have Carrick's like... Um, Mm. kind of know-how when it comes to passing the, the football um, so I, to me they're quite different uh, anyway Declan Rice has lost four of his last six now um, at the business end of the season uh, so a lot to, a lot of food for thought there for West Ham's captain I do have to say I think they were a little bit unlucky uh, in this Arsenal game though because there was a moment when the bantering uh, Ramsdale uh, sallied forth from his area his winning and- smile was nearly wiped off his face Ken, I would say <laughs> Well, it was crazy what happened because, first of all, Ramsdale, uh, the ball was played through. Jared Bowen is now chasing it. And you can see Ramsdale, who is positioned just outside his box. Not, you know, he's not like really pushed very high. He's, he slightly hesitates. And then he's like, no, I've got to go for this. Right. But that moment, that little moment of hesitation has actually cost him his chance of winning this ball. But now he's fully committed and he's going for the ball. And really it's it's all in the lap of the gods now and also Jared Bowen if he wants to do something about this at least he can see Ramsdale coming from a long way off and Ramsdale comes through like an express train studs up like actually already sort of waving his little hands and I'm sorry I didn't mean this <laughs> sorry I didn't mean this gesture as he plows directly across the line of of Bowen's run Bowen jumps into the air and goes uh, flying spills to the ground and is booked for diving, which I thought was the craziest decision. This has got to be a foul the other the other direction for Ramsdale. Mm. Because even if there's an argument that Bowen, at this point, finds it convenient to go to ground because maybe his 
touch that he's taken is too heavy and the ball's going to go out of play for a throw before he gets there. Maybe that's what he's he's worried about. The only reason he's had to take such a bad touch is because there's this enormous guy like about to, about to kill him. Already you know? apologizing for the horror tackle. Oh, that he's Jesus about to Christ. I really <laughs> hope he's able to get out of the way of this one is what Ramsdale said. Then he gets away. He gets away with it. Like, I thought that was amazing. Like The ref is almost saying to him, your choice is broken leg or yellow card. You know, what, what do you want? Okay, uh, you'll take the booking? Okay, fair enough. But I, I did think that was very, um, you know, and we've talked about this particular situation as well as one as, as increasingly the one where most of the d- most dangerous incidents happen on the field between a goalkeeper who's rushing out, which is a fairly, a fairly new situation. I mean, it's not like it's the f- only time this has ever happened, but it's not, you know, keepers used to stay on their line a bit more and now they're encouraged to come running out to clear these uh, so you're getting situations in nearly every game, but the goalkeepers are acting as though they can just go into it with like full force and kind of almost impunity. And decisions like that, I think, just encourage that, which is a really, which is a dangerous habit and one that will lead, I think, to serious injuries. I've lived here 20 years and none of my friends wanted England to win last night. You can't even enjoy a football match without it being 800 years of oppression. Of course, we don't want England to win. It's awful. Good afternoon. England came and played Ireland in Crow Park in rugby. We did not build their national anthem. My grandfather was in Crow Park in 1920 when Black and Tans invaded and he ran for his life. That's the type of arrogance that unfortunately makes Irish people not want to support the English team. My own grandfather in Dublin was shot by the Black and Tans in both knees. We have one thing in common. You gave us your language because you took ours away from us. My husband Paddy, his grandparents were burnt out of their business and home in Belfast just because they were Catholic. So you didn't go on keep harping on us. The reason why we don't support England, why would we support England? Oh, God. Yeah, but tell me why I would want to support England. Are you asking me? Yes. Why you would expect an Irish person to support England? The revered Jack Charlton. Why would I want to support English football? Harry Kane's got grandparents from Galway. Declan Rice is Irish descent. Jack Grealish is Irish descent. What, what more do they want? Tell me one reason we would support them. They brought us everything from the Great Hunger to Bloody Sunday. Oh. Oh. They still occupy part of my country. So why would I want to support them? You know, the construction firms, like, they got all chances. I mean, if they was English people were, like, so anti-Irish, they wouldn't have been given the, given the chance. I'm well, Irish. Why, would I, why would I want to support an English why, team? Why, why would you support Italy over England? You know, you're not Italian, but you'll support Italy. Why would you support Italy then? Well, I mean, I wouldn't go out of my way to support Italy, uh, other than the, the, the Italians are in the fish and chip shops here that I know locally, and I, I would give them encouragement. And I like fish and chips, and the players like the fish and chips. Jacob Steinberg, it's great to talk to you on the podcast today. Hi. Um, I am wondering what you can tell us about the uh, the Chelsea ownership situation. How close are we to getting uh, a final outcome? Well, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's felt close for for quite a few weeks, and there's been the possibility of you know, hearing something from, from rain that the bank were handling everything over in, over in New York. And, you know, you've been hearing this is going to be the week. This is, this, this is going to be the week. And then it's dragged on and on and it seemed like nothing's going to happen. And um, now it does seem like we're finally approaching some kind of conclusion, um, assuming that there are no hitches and, um, and nothing goes wrong, that it does look like it will be, Todd Bowley's consortium, who on Friday, without official any official confirmation from the club or from Rain or even from Todd Bowley's camp, that um, that consortium has been picked as the uh, preferred bidder over over the other um, bids that were in the race for it. So it would seem that in the next couple of weeks, possibly that Chelsea could have new owners. Um, it's not again. There's there's no actual time frame on on how how quickly this could all progress that they're, they're, they're into a exclusivity um process now the, the the Bowley camp and i think they've got you know maybe five five days or so to 
to to conclude those talks and and then it should be theirs and you would hope that during that time nothing goes wrong obviously they um made themselves you know, they, they were they were quite uh proactive when 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 this all got going obviously everything kind of kicked off when the you know the swiss billionaire hans your vice um, yeah. basically announced in in the in the swiss newspaper blick that abramovich wanted to sell and that he was looking to put it together and then it came out quite quickly that he was working with todd bowley who, who previously tried to buy chelsea in, in 2019 and and obviously after that the sanctions came and other groups came in and there were a lot of um interesting parties to sift through for rain and chelsea but it has always felt like the bowley group is the one that has you know for, for a start has has been there in the past and also presented the least complications given some of the issues that were presented by the other bidders. So hopefully, hopefully it will be soon and, and Chelsea can can start thinking about the future because obviously I think we're, we're seeing on the pitch this is probably starting to have a bit of an effect now. What sort of complications do you mean? What what were what complications were presented by other bidders that weren't presented by Bowley's um, consortium? Well, in terms of the ones that that passed through that that initial um the, the initial phase from from rain which was at the uh which was at the end of march where they picked a few a few bidders to go through to the next stage and that was going to be three bidders it ended up being four so obviously the the the, the most problematic bid from the perspective of a lot of supporters at least was the ricketts family and that was due to the allegations of islamophobia um from you know historic emails from the uh, from the father of Tom Ricketts, and th- those were emails that surfaced that were that were written quite a long time ago and surfaced a couple of years ago. And when they, obviously, when the Ricketts were uh, put forward as, as bidders, Chelsea fans found this, and and it all kind of kicked off, especially on, on social media. And there was a huge campaign against the Ricketts family. And in the end, they. It, it felt for a while like they may that they seem to have some kind of um, momentum behind them, despite the fan opposition, and that they had a there was a bit of a relationship between Tom Ricketts and Rain from the past from past business dealings, and it felt like hang on is it, is it going to be them regardless? And then just before we were about to get the absolute final bids through, then suddenly out of nowhere the Ricketts family absolutely just withdrew their offer because they couldn't get um, they couldn't get agreement between they said the the part the, the parties that are involved in their consortium as to the um as to the nature of it and how they would structure everything which just sort of added a bit more of the a bit more of a shambolic air to what was already feeling like quite a confusing process they, they always said that it had nothing to do with the fact that the fans were totally against them and in terms of the other ones you had the uh, the bid put together by sir martin broughton who wasn't the money behind um Behind this, and one of the issues with with that bid was that it was never entirely clear all the way through where that money was coming from. There was a certain lack of transparency, and one of the big issues was that a lot of the money was coming from Josh Harrison and David Blitzer, the Americans who have that big stake in in Crystal Palace, which obviously they would have needed to get rid of and, and may well not have worked for Chelsea in a time frame, despite their insistence that getting rid of those shares or divesting them would have would have been a relatively quick process for Chelsea this this um th- this this uh, license they've been granted by the government runs out on the 31st of May and beyond that you can see the effect that it's having on on Thomas Tuchel and his players on the pitch so they need something that is not going to um potentially cause issues with the Premier League or anything like that and the other one was Steve Paliuka who um the owner of the Boston Celtics seems like a very knowledgeable, very successful guy. Probably would have been a good owner, but again, has a share has 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 um, shares stake in uh, in Atalanta, who would be competing in the same competition as Chelsea. Again, impossible. So how do you how do you get past that? The Bowley Consortium doesn't have any of those kind of issues uh, in terms of people owning parts of other football clubs. There were no obvious um, political problems that the Ricketts family would have presented. So you're, you're hoping that this one isn't going to run into those kind of issues off the field and start dragging Chelsea into places they don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And just that, the, obviously, that the, 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 one, the one sticking point probably at the moment is that Sir Jim Ratcliffe, the richest man in Britain and or currently lives in Monaco anyway, um, put in this shock-like offer 
as uh, on on Friday. This is what this is what I was wondering about. It's this when I saw this news, I kind of assumed Jacob that that uh, Jim Ratcliffe would be successful because I thought, well, first of all, it's been it's being reported here, although although I suppose who knows that this is actually the biggest bid financially. He's offering more money than the others. Secondly, there's only one of him. Whereas if I look at this. Um, you know, even this Bowley consortium, you know, there's Bowley, there's Vice, there's uh, other people involved, in, you know, names I've seen, uh, Jonathan Goldstein, Mark Walter, Daniel, Daniel Finkenstein, George Osborne, you know, some of these people are, are more central, more important, some of them are just there for, I guess, name value, but there's a lot of people involved, you know what I mean, whereas surely it would be better if it was just one guy. Yeah, I mean, I suppose on the, for example, with the Bowley one, Jonathan Goldstein and, and Todd Bowley have worked together before and know each other. So it's not it's not a partnership that's come out of the blue. On the um on on the issue of Jim Ratcliffe, it I I'd heard during at, at some point in March that he may well have been someone who was putting together a bid, and that was very strongly denied by um by his spokesperson and it was pretty much battered away and it seemed like he just had no interest. <laughs> it's interesting. If you go back, um, I think to 2018 or 2019, he did an interview with Matt Dickinson, who's the, who's the times journalist who, who broke the story on Friday. And he was talking about how there was no value in premier league clubs and how he'd never be, I think he said the, the dumb, the dumb money. Um, and, and that premier league clubs, including Chelsea, who he, who he had looked at buying in, in 2018, um, were simply too expensive. And obviously we've seen during this process that to, to buy Chelsea, you're going to need around three billion pounds, which is quite a lot of money. So the the it, it did come out of the blue and it was a surprise given what had previously been said. And also the fact that he, that Ineos, the company that he owns, are, are the owners of, of Nice who are trying to, who, who have a chance of getting into the Champions League uh, for next season. So again, it would have been an issue, but um he he obviously has made his 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 offer two weeks after the final deadline for for offers and you you do wonder it was it's it's unclear as why he waited so long and it's unclear why he thought that would be successful and yet there's also just that that sense of could it present any kind of complication to it probably not but with this process you you just wouldn't want to say anything with 100% certainty it is very strange, just the, the idea of um, sort of saying you're not really interested and then coming in with a, with a big offer, apparently when it's too late, you know, if if it sort of goes to Bowley anyway, you do wonder what Ratcliffe was doing here because it looks, it looks a little bit unserious, you know, what he's done. Um, but the, but just on, on, the, on the point that he, he raised uh, to Matt Dickinson, um, <laughs> You know, there's no value in Premier League clubs. This is this is what he was saying. Or maybe he, maybe that wasn't actually his his real view. If he if he was prepared to bid, you know, four billion pounds for one. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I, I see it reported that the Bowley Consortium's total bid is is in excess of four billion pounds. Now that's not all for the club. Um, one and a half billion pounds to develop the club on Stamford Bridge, uh, and two and a half billion pounds is Reigns' valuation of Chelsea. That is massive money. I mean, that's that's far more than uh, for any uh, sports institution, I guess. I, I mean, I, you know, I think the the record wasn't it some NFL team. Uh, I can't remember the the exact record, but you know, it's the the record for a sports team is like more around the sort of two billion dollar mark, and this is like this absolutely blows that away. Where is the value in this? Do you think what what is the motivation uh, for paying so much money for Chelsea? I mean. Clearly, they think the uh, <laughs> they think it's going to be worth more in a few in a few years. I mean, I, I guess we can we can make that assumption about them. But but how do you think? What what do you think is the thought process that's led to that conclusion? Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting you say that they think it will be worth more because uh, Joe Rabich, who's the founder of I think he was the founder of Rain, he's certainly someone who certainly very senior there. Um, I think I'm right in saying that he's the founder. He he was in it. Um, I think he did an interview with Reuters last week and said that in a few years, these American owners, potential American owners of, few, of Premier League clubs uh, will be, they'll, they'll be able to sell these clubs for about 10 billion. So he, that, that, the view from someone who has more of a financial insight than I do would, is that these clubs are simply going to get more and more valuable. And you certainly, you know, when, when you, 
as you say, when you look at Chelsea going for something, the the ultimate figure being something like four billion, given all the investment that has to go into it, you would wonder what a club like Manchester United would go for um, should the Glazers ever decide that they that they've had enough of it. I think that um, part partly it's it's seen as uh, from from the American perspective. I think it's having owning a Premier League club is. It's probably not going to make you loads of money, but it would be seen to be, you know, something that must have accessory almost. Um, there are now so many American owners in the in the Premier League. Some good, some some, you know, certainly Liverpool will be the one that spring to mind and would be the the model that I would hope Chelsea go for, and, and some not so great. Um, but the, it's it is it's the richest league in the world, isn't it? And it, it continues to make all kinds of money and it it's um blowing other leagues out of the out of the water everybody just wants to watch the premier league so it it may well be because of that and and that's where that's where the the value comes into it i think for for chelsea though it's going to be it's it's difficult to know exactly where they go from here because because obviously they've had the ultimate benefactor in in roman abramovich and they've they've been able to exist while with an owner who has who was willing anyway we'll see whether this is going to be possible to write off a 1.5 billion pound loan and we'll have to see whether or not under the terms of his sanctions whether that that is actually even possible just on that question um first of all first of all i'd just like to to clear up the record the record price that's been paid for a sports team a sports franchise is 2.4 billion dollars for the new york mets in 2020 the NFL record is $2.27 billion for the Carolina Panthers. That was 2018. The Denver Broncos are going on sale at the moment and uh, are expected to go for maybe set a new record, but I don't know if it would be up there uh, in terms of £4 billion for Chelsea. Um, what, what what exactly, what relevance does Roman Abramovich have to all this is the last question because, you know, <laughs> he, he was uh, obviously sanctioned in a place of publicity. The club was frozen and so on and so forth. And yet he seems to have been kind of having input into this process. You know, the, at one point there was a report, well, Abramovich has asked for an extra 500 million pounds. He doesn't think this is enough. Um, what what does he have to do with it? Is, is he not a sort of, is he not out of the picture due to the due to the sanctions? If this sale goes through, where does the money go? Um, you know, what what is the, uh, what is the relationship with the former owner here? Is, is that clear yet? Well, in terms of where the money goes, that that's something that, will have to be cleared up in as and, as and when the sale goes through because I think at the moment nobody has any real clarity on that does it does it go into some kind of holding account and and it just stays there does it does the, does it go to does it go to the government um I'm just I'm thinking out loud I, I it's it's impossible to say because the only the only real thing that the government seems to care about is that not a penny goes to Abramovich and there were, I think that there were certain groups who were hopeful that the government would maybe take more of a a, um, a view on who should be the owners. And when that actually wasn't the case, because I don't think they have, the government has bigger things to think about ultimately than who owns Chelsea. And once that wasn't the case, I think certain groups were probably, their, their chances of um, owning the club were, were, were much lower. So it's still Abramovich's. It's still Abramovich's club. It's still you know the people who are the people who are um, who've been holding talks with all those bidders last week because they were all at Stamford Bridge for final pitches last week. Apart from obviously um, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who who did still talk to Bruce Buck. But the people who are doing this on behalf of Abramovich are obviously just his people. So it's Marina Granovskaya and it's Bruce Buck and, um, and 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 those kind of people who have. Bruce Buck has known Abramovich for years. Uh, uh, Marina Granovskaya has worked for him for what, for like 25 years, ha- hasn't she? So um, he is very much involved in it. And, and I don't think that despite everything that's gone on, I don't think that anybody would really doubt that Abramovich did have a huge affection for Chelsea and, and did want them to do well. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, but at the same time though, at the same time though, Jacob, the, the, the higher the price that's paid for the club, the, the less money, whoever it is, um, who has bought the club, has to actually invest in the club. I mean, you know, the, usually these things are pretty simple to understand. I mean, the price is going to go to the former owner. 
Um, that's what they, you know. That, that's what everyone understands. The, that, that's everyone understands. That's who receives the payment. In this case, it's sort of like we need you to jack up the payment, but we don't know who's going to get the payment. But we do know that, like, once you've put the money in that in that box, it won't actually be available for for Chelsea anymore. You'll still be paying your interest, or you know, however you manage to finance this enormous payment to whoever. It's just a very unusual situation. Yeah, it's, it's it is bizarre, and obviously that that story last week that that came from initially from Mark Kleinman, who's, who's been Sky News, has been great on this, um, about Abramovich asking for another, asking them to raise the price by 500 million. And, but then it, then it kind of became unclear, is, is that actually the, the price that he wants them to pay to himself or, or for the club, sorry? Or was it something to go into, the, into this charity pot for victims of the war in Ukraine? And again, there was that whole, there was another murky, element of all of this because was it money for ukrainian victims or was it money for it was money for all the victims very very which obviously raises uh, the the prospect of it going to to russians and and that was another part of it and there's a there's an element of how exactly you interpret the the pr behind all of this and i mean obviously there are there are elements of it though where he's asked for some of that investment simply to be in part of the infrastructure of the club. So you're not paying, you're not paying just ultimately 4 billion to buy Chelsea. Part of that is, will you pay a billion, you know, will you commit over the next however many years to invest in the academy, to invest in the women's team and in, in the men's team? And, and part of that as well is going to be for Chelsea, which is a, is a huge problem and, and something that really does will hold them back without Abramovich and, and will be something that the new owner is going to have to sort out is what you do with Stamper Bridge because it's a smaller ground, it's pretty old and it doesn't have necessarily the same, you can't make the same kind of money from, from match day. It's probably not got the same kind of commercial um, commercial potential as, as uh, well, probably Spurs and Arsenal with their new grounds and it's something that the new owners are going to have to work out and it's going to be very difficult because of where it is, it's next to a tube line, which makes it tricky. You've got the whole issue with the Chelsea pitch owners, so you can't. You're going to find it very difficult to to move to another site, which is something that Abramovich had had explored. Um, so, so that's part of it. Is you know is 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 going to be um, that that investment is going to go into those parts of the, you would hope anyway for for the sake of the club that it's going to go into into protecting the infrastructure and ensuring that it can remain competitive but all of this is is just totally uncertain because it's it's going to be completely different without somebody who was just able to in one summer without really thinking about it dump 200 million pounds on quite a lot of players who haven't who haven't worked out and then just you know under Abramovich would have been the case that you would have just kind of forgotten about it and just absorbed the loss and that's not going to be the way it's going to work I think with an American ownership Okay, Jacob Steinberg, thanks very much for coming on and explaining all that to us today. Great, thanks. I'll ask Gary if he thinks like the publicity he's given young Frank there warrants it. Because personally, I don't think he's quite good enough yet. And I also think that in the last couple of years, you've let some good midfielders go for peanuts, like Matt Holland and Scott Cannon. Well, no, they definitely wasn't good enough. I'll tell you now, you know, you can sit in front of all these people, I'll tell you, without any shadow of a doubt, there will be no comparison with what Frank Lampard will achieve in football and what Scotty Cannon will achieve in football. And I may be now, I didn't want to say this in front of him, but he will go right to the very top. Right to the very top. Well, there you are, you heard it here first. He has given them belief. It's almost the perfect man management. I love this club when we start the season wanting to win. I'm convinced Frank Lampard will become England manager. Frank Lampard's lost eight games. Well, I can't drag people out of the medical room. But for some reason, hey, Frank's doing all right. Frank, maybe because he's English. I don't know. <laughs> why do you think you were off the pace today? I know, that's one for the players. I'd love Frank Lampard to get the Chelsea job in ten years' time. Frank's yeah. track record CV went to Derby, didn't get promoted. But Frank's got all the answers for Chelsea. He hasn't. I think for a journalist to be objective would be a big start. Harry Redknapp joins us live this morning. Harry, good morning to you. Good morning. People need time. You lose four or five games, it doesn't suddenly make you a bad manager. You're only as good as your players at the end of the day, and the players that are brought in, the two German players, have been massive disappointments. Yeah. Massive. I've not yet seen a manager that can turn 
very average players into great players. I'm still looking to see somebody who can do that. You heard it here first. And I, uh, and I, I tell you now, there ain't no doubt about that, in my opinion. Okay, Tom Pod Creela Bjogna Creekna Anish, Tommy on Vrodul Ve in a he and own Marskano, ah, Ton Fairmore Lodger, Rasharish, Amork, Lacoon of Jay. Uh, it's been a Baltana festival of sport on today's show. That will continue this week as we'll be talking about Katie. Wonderful, amazing, era-defining Katie. The Huntington Cup quarterfinals, the Champions League semi-finals. Uh, we barely even have time to talk about Brian Cody and Henry Shefflin's handshake. Well, well yeah, what happened with this, with that handshake? I was looking at it. I was like, I don't, I don't get what's going on here. Well, what do you make of it? You do, you well, just thought, don't know. You're you're eager to to find out. Well, what I made of it was, I mean, not not knowing the recent mm. history of of what's been going on between these two guys who. I know they soldiered together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Brian, what it seems to me is that Brian Cody was holding on to his hand for way too long. Well, that, I mean, the the clip that you saw, Ken, because you were watching the Sunday game, the same as myself, of course, last night, as you always do, um, that was slowed down a lot, I think, right? right? I guess, yeah. um, and, you know, you can... You could read a lot into the... Like, I certainly thought Cody was the one trying to send a message. Like, all Shefflin wanted to do was shake his hand and get get out of there. Cody was trying to send a message to Shefflin there. Now, some would say the message that he was sending was, you're a Kilkenny man managing a team against Kilkenny, therefore, you are a traitor. That is one message that he could have been sending. The message I actually think he was sending was that you just got a really lucky free to win this game. And I'm going to mention it, Actually, wait, no, I'm not going to mention it. And then he just held onto his hand a bit and then left. Right. So I okay. think I think that's uh, that's my opinion. And now others, you know, others may think differently, but certainly I think that's the message that Cody was sending, as opposed to anything deeper about the, you know, fra- a reasonably fractured relationship by the end of Shefflin's career. Um, certainly, the last season of Shefflin's career was not the happiest one in the Brian Cody Henry Shefflin relationship. Um, so yeah. I don't know. It was pretty interesting, though. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm. Uh, lots more of Ken's hurling hot takes to come uh, this week, of course. But there was one other thing you wanted to mention, the death of Mina Raiola, who, yeah. uh, you know, is a fairly gigantic figure in world football over the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, and, you know, obviously De- Mina Raiola's death was prematurely reported uh, last week, and he kind of had one last zinger saying, no, you know, I'm, um, I'm pretty pissed off, uh, but I'm not going yet. Well... Uh, unfortunately, he is now dead at the age of only fifty-four, which um, which is very sad. Um, this was a guy who he had sort of emerged as the most successful agent of the last of the last ten or fifteen years. I mean, with a particular attitude. I think it's interesting to to look at this testimonial uh, put up by Matthias de Ligt, who was one of his uh, clients. Dear Mino, I honestly am not ready to write this message. I think I never will be. It's too early for us players, for your family, but especially for you. You had so many dreams to fulfill, so many things left to do. I thought you were crazy when you told me about the things you were planning, but you were always right in the end. You knew how the world worked. Nothing is impossible. You showed that to the whole world. The moment I met you for the first time, I knew you were someone special. Completely different to me, but we had one thing in common. We wanted to do our job as good as possible and get everything out of our lives. You fought for your players together with your team. That's why you were so loved by all of them, because as you always said, they're my sons, my family. Now it's time we have to change roles. You did everything for us, and now we have to do everything for the people you love the most, your family. I promise we will take care of everything you loved us together as your sons. Mino, I'll miss you for everything. Like you said, to be the bad guy against everybody for me to be my agent, but especially to be my best friend, someone who I could always ask for help, who was ready to fight for me, also someone with whom I could talk about life in general, someone who knew so much about certain things that I am angry with myself, I didn't ask you more. I'm sure at some point I can ask you more and cuddle you again because I miss you already way too much. I love you, Mino, love heart. So that's um, from Matthias Delicta, Juventus uh, central defender to his uh, dearly departed agent, Mino Raiola. Um, I mean, he is a guy who, I mean, you can see from that the the effect that he had on his clients. You know, they, like, I don't think it's going too far to say that they loved him, you know. Mm. Um, he managed to have this effect on 
uh, young players like you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Being the bad guy for uh, for uh, for me is kind of an interesting line as well. I mean, that's I mean maybe that's just the that's just the role of the agent generally, but mm. that's well, something you, that he wasn't afraid to be. You see, in the in the sort of the technique, like these, uh, you know, his his sort of seduction technique um, with these players. I mean, Zlatan was the one who probably gave the most detailed account of it. But you know, sort of a case of like, uh, oh, you think you're so great? He started nagging them, you know. Oh, uh, you know, you need to be better at this, but making them feel a little bit insecure. And then that whole idea of, you know, you, you need someone to be your bad guy, you know, because the world's full of these and you need someone to do that for you. And I suppose kind of um, what he offered the players was the sense of this guy's going to look after me. I can sort of outsource my security concerns to this guy who is going to... Uh, you know, deal with all the snakes out there, and he's and he's the biggest and baddest one of them all. You know what I mean? And 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 this is this is very attractive um, to a certain kind of player, uh, and it's and it proved to be a very lucrative skill for Mino, who who made some of the most gigantic uh, commissions in the history of the sport. I mean, this is why I don't think that his. Um, I mean, I think that he 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 was a very talented agent, um, but when you're making forty million euros off one um, off one sale which you know which is you know his reported commission for moving paul pogba from juventus to manchester united you think you're sort of thinking <laughs> wow that really that really is a lot there's not many agents who managed to uh, increase their share of the proceeds to such an enormous extent um but you know most of his players seem to be pretty happy with it whether his players have had great careers um you know you, you, you guys like pogba would say no mkhitaryan may be a little disappointing given his talent uh, the Ligt has not been great so far at Juventus, but you know he's he's obviously still a young player. Balotelli, no. Uh, Ibrahimovic, I would say, not bad, not bad at all. Um, but that sort of you know, do you, Erling Haaland is is the latest Haaland is going to go to to Manchester City now. Um, but you know, we'll see if the if the stable of stars continues to behave in the same way in the absence of this uh, singular uh, singular genius, Mino Raiola. Mm. Who, uh, who died this weekend. Okay, thanks a million for listening and we'll chat to you on the World Service tomorrow. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. 